0: Just confess to you that after our conversation about satire, which I think was just yesterday, um, I saw this headline and I then I had to look at it again and I thought to myself, okay, so um, when you start fact-checking satirical websites uh, or articles posted on openly satirical sites, then we've reached the place in our culture where we have to stop and have a conversation about what the facts are, what reality is, what fact checking should be, and whether or not you can fact check a satirical site. So here's the storyline. So last week, uh, there's a conservative Christian satire site. It's called the Babylon Bee. And the Babylon Bee last week published, uh, you know, like they do every single day, this like array of uh, of headlines that are, well, they're not true. It's a, it's a satirical website. So let me just highlight that again. Uh, the headline read, Ninth Circuit Court Overturns Death of Ruth Bader Ginsburg. And the Babylon Bee went on to say that in a landmark ruling, the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals had overturned the death of Supreme Court Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Um, it went on to say, death at its core is a construct designed to subvert the rule of law by taking pro-choice liberal judges away from us too soon. And so we hereby rule any attempt uh, to uh, by President Trump to appoint a replacement to be unconstitutional, and we will block any attempt until we figure out a way to resurrect her, or maybe clone her, or restore her to her already legally alive state. So they declared her legally alive. That was the, um, so that was the uh, the satirical statement. Now you can you can go ahead and rail against you know people making fun of death or fun of those who have died. I, I get that. I'm not suggesting that this is all in particularly good taste what i am going to lift up is that you know there's always some truth in satire right so there's a there's a thread woven through here that is um that is interesting to discuss um death is not a joke i get that um the concept that death would uh be a uh, a construct that could be undone that there would be a way um to figure out i mean here was the language uh Figure out a way to resurrect her. Um, right there, friends, as a Christian, you have an opportunity. People are looking for a way to figure out uh, how someone might be resurrected. Like, um, hello, we actually know the answer to that question. There is a way to live again, um, not not here in some reincarnated or reanimated state, but um, alive forever in the full presence of the living God, um, resurrected in Christ Jesus. For all eternity, like we actually know the answer to this question. So uh, the piece in the Babylon Bee is a joke, um, and not everybody got the joke. And so the USA Today, this is where I don't know if the USA Today was then also playing a joke by assigning a fact checker, but the fact checker then took the took the uh, assignment seriously. Her name is Chelsea Cox. She's actually a fact checker for the USA Today. She spent an entire week examining the veracity of the Babylon Bee story. Um, And the USA Today then published a fact-check article entitled Fact Check, a satirical claim that the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals overturned Ginsburg's death. The article uh, ran uh, in the USA Today, and it reached this conclusion. The USA Today fact-check reads, we rate this claim satire. Based on our research A satirical article about the Ninth Circuit Court overturning Supreme Court Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg's death has no basis in fact. It is true that the Ninth Circuit Court has ruled against many Trump-era policies. So uh, the reason I'm lifting this up is because I feel like there is an opportunity here to um, talk about the veracity of the resurrection of Jesus Christ and to suggest that people might want to check the facts on that. If the USA Today is going to assign a fact checker who's going to spend an entire week looking at uh, multiple, um, uh, multiple places and, and articles, they're going to spend time researching whether or not Ruth Bader Ginsburg could be resurrected or cloned or in some other way reanimated uh, to sit again on the Supreme Court to block uh, the current president's opportunity to fill the seat. If they're going to spend time researching that – Maybe, maybe they want to assign a fact checker to spend a week examining all of the sources available um, on the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and what it actually means for people today. There are reports from Roman guards, Jewish leaders, Jesus's disciples, two guys on the road to Emmaus, the women who went to tend to the burial site. The list is long. So maybe it's a time to assign a fact checker to that story. You could read the evidence for yourself in the four Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, as well as the opening of the book of Acts. You could read the testimony of the Apostle Paul on the road to Damascus. You could ask billions of us, billions of us, who have had transforming encounters with the living Christ, we will testify not only to the resurrection of Jesus, but of his power to bring you to resurrected life. He really did rise from the dead. It's no joke. Bill English is waiting right now. He and I are going to talk about, you know, Economics, the home variety. That's up next. You're on Mornings with Carmen. Joining me now, Bill English from BibleAndBusiness.com. Let's talk about the impact of the pandemic on the economy. Bill, welcome to Mornings with Carmen.
2: Well, thank you for having me on again. I appreciate it.
0: Jesus has risen from the dead, and it is no joke.
2: It is no joke, and we have nothing to fear. One of the things I'm seeing in social media from last night is that a lot of people are saying how America is just totally screwed. And I just don't think Christians should take that approach. We don't have anything to fear when we have God at the center of our lives. And so let's not fear what the culture fears. Let's fear the Lord, for sure, but let's not fear what our culture fears.
0: Yeah, exactly. All right, let's talk about um, the impact of the pandemic on the economy. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You and I have been reading a, a number of articles out there. There's, um, There's the there's an article about, you know, sort of the, the impact that the pandemic has had on some of the most affluent zip codes in the country. And there is a lot out there in terms of the impact on the middle class. So how about you just summarize, um, summarize what we're reading?
2: Yeah, well, first of all, in terms of the most affluent zip codes, uh, there's a study from the Brookings Institute that shows that those with the highest incomes have the most volatility to those incomes during a downturn so they they tend to have about twice to three times as much loss of income on a percentage basis as those in other economic classes having said that uh, a two to three times loss for the rich is is not the same thing as a a, a single time loss uh, for those who are in the middle or the lower classes this this covid uh thing is really hurting us economically The stimulus package that that Congress passed in the spring uh, did a lot to uh, keep our economy afloat, to keep people going. The uh, $600 extra a week on the unemployment certainly helped. But now, really, this thing has gone on a lot longer than anybody thought it would. And uh, what's happening is that without the second stimulus package, there's a number of people who are really hurting, especially in the lower socioeconomic classes. And so that's basically a, a, a summary of what's happening. So, for example, those earning twenty-seven thousand or less, um, this one article in Bloomberg says that that uh, they have lost eleven million jobs nationwide due to COVID nineteen, whereas those earning sixty thousand or more in that particular strata uh, have only lost about three million jobs. So we need another stimulus package. I don't think Congress is going to come through with it. I just don't see how we're going to get any agreement on anything before the election. And so America is going to hurt. Both sides are going to try to play it to get their votes. But America is, is really uh, hurting quite right now.
0: Yeah. And then, you know, there's going to be those uh, who are going to immediately say, Bill, that, you know, the stim- stimulus, it means money we don't, printing more money we don't have, that we're going to have to pay back through higher taxes at some point um, because we can't just keep imagining that we can do that. But I'm with you. I I, I understand, like, we've got to figure out how to help one another. So... um so let's get let's get in just a minute to the sort of how can we help one another in the midst of this, um, when you when you talk about how COVID is harming the finances of most Americans, what are some of the talking points there?
2: Yeah, some of the talking points here is that our net worth <clears throat> is down overall for Americans because mm-hmm. our what we call our bad debt is up. In other words, we have a lot more debt on credit cards. we're not Not able to make the payments, so the delinquencies are up. And even though uh, since 2008, uh, middle America has built up really a nice storehouse of liquid cash, that cash is, is going out the door faster than what any cash is coming in. And again, homes have appreciated in value, so we have some equity there, but that equity is not keeping up with the increased debt that people are going into. A lot of people are living on debt and credit cards right now just to make their mortgage payment, just to make their car payment, just to buy food and put it on the table. This is not a good situation for um, millions of Americans right now, and that's what COVID is doing. I I, I wish, you know, Carmen, I'm normally not a guy who says, the government needs to step in and do a stimulus. In this case, I am, because this is no fault of anybody. Mm. No, no, Nobody did anything wrong. And and really, Republicans and Democrats need to get this thing figured out and get some money flowing to the American people.
0: All right. Bill English and I are going to be right back. We've got to take a very, uh, very brief break. We're going to talk about what we can do as Christians. Um, we are not powerless. And so um, even if the government is not going to immediately act, we can. That's up next. Here on mornings with Carmen.
1: Breaking...
0: Bill English and I are continuing our conversation. um bill, the uh, the chatter sphere is uh, is robust today. So I'm reading oh, the text it? line. Let me just right. uh let me just say you guys can always communicate with us. Uh the text line is open 8779332484. Uh some of you seem to have my personal cell phone number. So uh better to text me on the text line that I can see on the screen, big screen versus the one I would have to read on the tiny little screen of my phone. Uh so use the text line uh if you would. I'd appreciate that. 8779332484. You got something really long and verbose to say? You can always email me, Carmen, at myfaithradio dot com. All right, Bill, what can we do? What can we do? The the um, the situation is challenging. Uh, Eleven million jobs lost for those earning twenty seven thousand dollars a year or less. Uh, something in the neighborhood of three million jobs less uh, lost for those earning more than 60,000 jobs, uh, just in terms of things that haven't come back yet. That's a lot of people. um, That's a lot of households impacted negatively. Um, What can we do?
2: You know, this is where those who are wealthy, those who have money, and there are some out there, most churches have, excuse me, a handful of people uh, who who uh could lose or or spend a quarter million or half million and really not feel it that's when these people need to step up they need to see their wealth as being owned by God not by themselves i'm sorry for my voice here and okay. uh <clears throat> and to say you know what? We're going to step in and we're going to take care of those who are hurting uh, first within our church and then secondly within our communities. And now this means that the churches need benevolent programs where people can apply um, and maybe get a a, a a mortgage payment paid, a car payment paid. Maybe, you know, they need a couple hundred bucks for groceries, something like that. But to me, <clears throat> these business owners, and usually that's those are the people who have the money this is a great time for them to invest in the kingdom by uh, giving um, a lot of their wealth to the church so that the church can support those in need. To me, this is prime. This is core to what we business owners do.
0: Yeah, I think there's no question about that. And when you use the term wealth and use the term wealthy— um, I think I just want to be sure people um, recognize what that means. Hey, we're talking to those of you who've been storing it up in barns, right? You've been, uh, you've been, uh, you have been privileged to store up in ways that others um, have not been able to store up along the way. And so uh, I guess I would ask this question. If you have got uh, money stored up, if you have accumulated wealth, then at some point you have to ask yourself, uh, for when like when is the time that God gave me this wealth to use to his glory to advance his kingdom purposes is today the win is now the win um and and for whom did God have you accumulate that wealth it's not for you, um so how could God be best glorified? How could the kingdom be best advanced by uh those resources now being released from those places where they have been accumulated back into? Um, the economy to get things moving again. And then how, and that's sort of the benevolence process that Bill was talking about, like work something out with your church to create um, a benevolence process where, you know, people can get their bills paid and and you're helping to make that happen. Like stored up in barns is no good when the people are starving, like, right, let's get the grain out there.
2: Yeah, I mean, Proverbs three twenty seven and 28, do not withhold good from those to whom it is due when it is in your power to do it, do not say to your neighbor, go and come again. Tomorrow I will give it to you when you have it with you. Uh, Leviticus 25, if your brother becomes poor, becomes poor, right? Wasn't wasn't poor before, but is poor now, and cannot maintain himself with you. You shall support him as though he were a stranger and a sojourner, and he shall live with you. Now, one of the things we can't do, in, you know, in this segment, is go unpack what the word "stranger" means and how the Old Testament dealt with strangers relative to the children of Israel. What did it mean to be a stranger in the land? Uh so look there 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 are people who have the ability to really invest significantly in the kingdom by investing in people through their churches and my call is for those who have that ability to step up now's the time to do it and take care of the brother in your church take care of the brother in your community
0: All right and then you've got this other really great idea we've talked about this briefly before but let's um let's lay it out again Um, Talk about helping those who have the ability and the aptitude to actually start new businesses right now, um, how churches could see this as a ministry to get more Christian business owners into the market.
2: Yeah, we really need—you uh, know you know, I'm passionate about this. We need more Christian business owners in the marketplace. And just like we prepare people for mission service or become, go to be a pastor or whatever, we need to be uh, having ministries that prepare people to get into businesses, businesses that will help fund ministries, businesses that will be salt and light in our marketplace. Um, so Uh, I'm actually hoping to pilot this at my church at some point. I don't know if I'll ever get a chance to do that. Uh, The advantages for starting a new business right now, I'm just going to tick them off real quick. Uh, Very low interest rates. Uh, You can borrow money very low at a very low rate, and the SBA, Small Business Administration, is still doing loans for new businesses. Uh, A lot of businesses can now be started from the home. You don't necessarily need brick and mortar, and there's a lot of used equipment on the market right now at very good prices. As some of these businesses are going under, you may be able to pick up equipment at a very, very reasonable price. And you know what? There's a lot of talent on the market right now. You can hire them as contractors or maybe even split some ownership with them and have them help you start a business. Um, and finally, there are some real needs that are not being met due to COVID-19. Business, I think, is a great engine to meet some of those needs. Uh, boy, let's let's help our those that are entrepreneurial entrepreneurial in nature. Let's help them start businesses. And again, this is where business owners in the church can come alongside them and say, here's what I've learned. Here's some seed money. Let's get you going.
0: Um, I know that um, those who own commercial property have a lot of vacated and vacating space as well. Maybe I would add that to your list of uh, of opportunities for people to be looking around at.
2: Yes, yeah, yeah, there's there, there's a lot of space out there that you can probably get at a pretty reasonable price.
0: Yeah, absolutely. All right, Bill, we got to leave it right there. Thank you. As always, you guys can visit with Bill English at BibleAndBusiness.com. We'll be right back. All right, I want you to imagine for a moment that you are just in a, you know, conversation with just about anybody, and they say, hey, um... Who inspires you? Lots of conversations in the culture today about the ways in which Ruth Bader Ginsburg or Amy Coney Barrett or others have inspired girls and women. Um, so if you were to ask that question, if, if someone were to ask you, like, who, what, which woman in the Bible inspires you? Like, is there a woman in the Bible that just stands out as an inspiration to you? Well, I might have a quick answer to that question. But when Michelle Sloan, who is a children's author in Scotland, when she was asked that question, she, she was stumped. Like, she just recognized that she didn't actually know the women of the Bible. And so she embarked on um, a journey that has, in part, resulted in a book that we're going to talk about now. It's a children's book. She's a children's author. It's called... Extraordinary Women of the Bible. And trust me, you're going to be delighted by the inspiration it provides. We'll be right back.
1: A man from Capernaum approached Jesus in Cana. Come heal my son, the man asked Jesus. Jesus said the boy would be healed. And so the man set out for Capernaum. While the man was on his way, some of his servants met him with the news that the son was alive and well. This is Max Locato. The good news from the servants was met with a good question from the father. What time did he get better? Reply, one o'clock. The very time Jesus had spoken the word. You see, Jesus had worked a long distance healing. The miracle was not just in the life of the boy, but in the saving faith of the entire household. Isn't that what Jesus desired? But the boy eventually died. The life-giving miracle of Jesus was short-term, but the faith-giving miracle of Jesus was eternal. The entire household believed in Jesus, and this resulted in everlasting life. Remember, friends, you are never alone.
0: now, Michelle Sloan. Among other things, she is the author of a new children's book entitled Extraordinary Women of the Bible. Michelle, welcome to Mornings with Carmen.
3: Hi, Carmen. Thank you so much
0: for having me on your show. Oh, certainly. So um, just to give people a little bit of context, tell, uh, tell us where you are, and if we <laughs> were to look out your window, what would we see? So
3: I am in Scotland. Uh, I am in a town called or a city rather called Dundee and looking out of my window I see pouring rain. Um, Mm. Autumn has most definitely arrived in Scotland. Yesterday we had beautiful sunshine today it's pouring with rain so um, I'm tucked up inside and uh, very excited to chat to
0: you today. I feel like there's like cozy wool within reach.
3: (laughs) Oh yeah mountains of it and tartan and plaid and stags we're all so around.
0: jealous we now all just want to come visit
3: oh well you're most welcome when all this and, pandemic is over come to scotland yeah and we would probably have a
0: delightful cup of tea
3: oh we drink a lot of tea a lot of tea it's, it just, keeps
0: us warm. That and yeah, my... <laughs> well see there you go honesty i like honesty okay let's uh, let's talk about um extraordinary women of the bible it is a children's book But um, it really is uh, really a part of the journey of faith that you have experienced. So I'd, I'd love for you to take us back to the conversation or the moment of silence that really sort of set you on the journey that resulted in this book.
3: Well, I am a children's writer and I've um, only really in the last 10 years have I been writing because I was a primary teacher, but um, I wanted to write and I managed to get myself published, which was a thrill in itself. But I really just needed a new challenge and I contacted a Christian publisher, SPCK, because I had this idea that I wanted to write about women of faith. Um, and I felt there was a gap in the market in, in Scotland for books that really explored that. And it was my wonderful editor who said to me, now, hang on a minute. Uh, why don't you write about the women of the Bible? And uh, I had a, a little panic, a moment of panic, <laughs> because I, I couldn't really think of any. Uh, beyond Mary mother of of Jesus and I think I thought of other Marys but I I really couldn't I couldn't go beyond that so I I went off and I did something for me that was quite remarkable I I picked up the Bible and I began to read it and I hadn't done that before Uh, when I was at school I wasn't particularly raised a Christian But when I was at school, we had a smattering of Bible stories and uh, Christianity was something that I've always felt was a, a quiet voice for me that's got louder as I've got older. And so when I picked up the Bible and I started to read and research, two things kind of happened. The first thing was I loved reading the Bible. I found it spiritually this great awakening it was so nourishing it was just a really wonderful process and secondly I learned about all these women who I did not know even existed Um, and there was a little part of me that almost felt kind of annoyed that I had gone through my schooling knowing the bible stories of key male figures but never knowing these stories of these amazing, incredible women, so it was um, it was quite a process of exploration for me uh, spiritually. Uh, I really felt like I, I was connecting with these women and also just the creating of a book which i I, I hope I like to think is is a joyous uh, reflection of that, and hopefully young people will feel that too.
0: Well, and we're we are um, we're seeing evidence that young people uh, are are feeling that and experiencing that. So let me just uh, set this up again for our listeners. I'm talking with Michelle Sloan. We're talking about her new book. It is a children's book, but let me go ahead and um, admit and acknowledge that if you are not familiar with the extraordinary women of the Bible, this is a good introduction to them, regardless of your age. Let us all come uh, to Christ as little children, he he invites us uh, in. uh, He invites us to open his word and know the characters that we find there. And so, uh, Michelle, first, let me thank you for sharing the story, because I think that there are a lot of us who are reticent to admit that we don't know the stories of the Bible. And I love that you, um, in in your sort of moment of, oh, my goodness, the only the only woman of the Bible that comes to mind is Mary and maybe the other Mary's and I don't even know that I would yeah. be able to sort them out if I had to. Um yeah. and you know, and then to to not back away from the from the question um, about exploring the women of the Bible, but instead actually going and reading the Bible to discover the extraordinary women um, whose stories are contained therein, so talk with us you You selected sixteen women of the Bible. there are obviously a lot more than that, um, yes. but children have been responding very positively. I like the question that is asked of children after they experience the book, and that is you know. Which one of these extraordinary women of the Bible inspires you? I think that's a great question. Um, so, talk about uh, some of the women in in the book, and then how children are responding to them.
3: I um, I found when I was writing it that with each woman that I was focusing on for that particular spell of research and and reflection, that each one became became my favorite for that for that spell of time, and I I, I took out of it various different things. However, there is there are a few in there that I definitely come back to that resonate strongly with me, and probably the one is, that resonates the most with me is Mary Magdalene. Um, I, I think I know you shouldn't have favourites, but I think I think she is my favourite, um, and there are various reasons for that. For me, growing up, uh, Mary Magdalene was presented in not the most positive of lights. I mean, she was either a woman of ill repute or in popular culture you know from musicals the musical Jesus Christ Superstar she was i don't know how to love him she was quite presented as quite a weak a weak person and my research led me well away from that and uh, quite the opposite she she for me uh, was this very very strong presence in in the life of Jesus uh, the the favorite uh, aspect of that is her name. I had assumed, uh, quite quite wrongly, that Magdalene was her surname. But in fact, the, there's a couple of theories surrounding that, that either um, it came from Magdala, which was a fishing town by the Sea of Galilee, so she could have c- come from there. Or that, and this is my favourite theory, that Magdalene was actually her nickname, So we know that uh, Jesus liked to give nicknames to some of his followers. For example, he called Simon Peter, which meant rock, and he called the brothers James and John the sons of thunder. Isn't that wonderful? And uh, Magdala means tower or fortress in Aramaic, which was the language many people spoke back then. So there's this theory that actually her nickname was that she was his tower, maybe his tower of strength um and and that resonated a lot with me i thought that was that was wonderful and that she had this sort of strong um consistent presence in his life and let us not forget that she was the first to see him risen so um her importance is is undeniable and and i i think she was an incredible woman um so she's one of the ones that definitely um stands out for me but then they're all so wonderful i mean if we Think um, to a story from the Old Testament, Deborah. She was a prophet. She was a, a warrior. She was a judge. Um, we've got the Queen of Sheba. We've got Queen Esther. We've got uh, Lydia, who was a businesswoman, uh, a seller of purple fabric. We've got Anna, the prophetess, who waited her entire life um, to meet Jesus. We've got Prisca, who was a tent maker and a determined missionary. These These women were were incredible and fearless actually and and courageous which makes them all rather compelling. Mm
0: -hmm. Michelle you and I have to take a very brief break when we come back um, let's talk about Rahab uh, one one of the extraordinary women of the Bible and maybe not um, maybe maybe a surprise um, in terms of why she might be featured and so I just love for you to introduce our Listeners to Rahab, as you have done in Extraordinary Women of the Bible, I'm talking with Michelle Sloan, and she and I will be right back. Continuing my conversation with Michelle Sloan, we're talking about her children's book, which for those of us who may be unfamiliar with The Extraordinary Women of the Bible— you know, it's for children of every age, uh, and so we want to invite you in, Michelle. Why don't you share with us a little bit about Rahab? And feel free to read read uh, a Rahab page if you want to.
3: Okay, so Rahab was uh, definitely one of my favorites. She's she was a a fearless a fearless woman. So I'm going to read you a little bit about her, and you can find her story in the Old Testament in the book of Joshua. Rahab lived in the city of Jericho. She was an innkeeper and her house was built into the city walls. Her inn was always very busy as lots of people traveled through Jericho. One day, two Israelite spies on a secret mission came to stay at Rahab's inn. The Israelites believed that God had promised them this land, so they wanted to see the city of Jericho for themselves. The spies stayed with Rahab at her inn, but the king of Jericho found out. In the middle of the night, he sent his guards to search the house. Quick thinking, Rahab hid the two men on her roof. The guards believed Rahab when she said that they had left. And... uh, Uh, they set off thinking that they were chasing after the spies. After they'd gone, Rahab ran up to the roof and spoke to the two spies. She told them that she knew who they were. She pleaded with them and got them to promise that when they came back with their people, the Israelites, to take the city of Jericho, they would not kill her and her family. As Rahab had helped them hide from the guards, the spies agreed. They told her that she must tie a crimson red cord to her window and keep her family safe inside, as then the Israelites would know which household to spare. Rahab helped the men climb down the walls of her house, and they left the city of Jericho. Once they'd escaped safely, she tied a red cord to the window. Then she waited. Sure enough, some days later, the Israelites returned to capture the city of Jericho. Spare only Rahab and her family," shouted Joshua. "Look for the house with the red cord tied to the window." Rahab made a wise decision for her family in helping the Israelite spies. She went on to become a distant ancestor of Jesus. And with each of these spreads, what we've done is we've really tried to come up with a line that we call the takeaway line, so that children would be able to connect with the story and find a connection to their own lives. And that takeaway line is God blesses us when we look out and care for others like Rahab did. I just love her fearlessness. She was a protector of her own family. Uh, I love the visual image of the crimson red cord. And actually what we've done is we've got that spread all the way through the illustrations. The illustrations, can I just say, were done by uh, Summer Macon, who's from Colorado, and she's just A fantastic illustrator and she absolutely elevated the concept into something really fun and dynamic and hopefully that comes across on that on on all of
0: the pages so it's very engaging um i tend to review children's books with my six-year-old granddaughter evelyn And Evelyn, uh, Evelyn's very engaged by um, by the artwork in this book. And so, yes, yes, yes. Hats off to uh, to Summer for the illustrations. Um, She's amazing. She is. Yeah, it it is. It's very it's it's contemporary, but it's it's fun. They're all full of joy. They're women you want to know. Um, and, And the other thing that Evelyn observed is in seeing the the red cord. She said, well, the the Israelites knew to pass over that house. And so she was able to make that connection to the story of the exodus and uh, and to the blood on the door frames of the house. And that that would be, you know, the red cord um, of Rahab is, uh, you know, is a reminder of that story as well. So just it's just a wonderful uh, it's a wonderful book. It is a great introduction to the extraordinary women of the Bible, um, but it's also um, it takes it takes one deep. It's faithful to the scriptures, and um, it provokes a curious faith. And I appreciate that yeah i th- I think
3: it does i that 's the whole point of of the book really was to get um young young children interested in the Bible and to sort of guide them into it you know and, and, and make them think but what I would really hope that um, young people really uh, take from it is that all these women uh, have um, an incredible resilience. And I think resilience is something that uh, well, we all need a lot of at the moment, particularly in the, in the current state of the world that we live in. Uh, resilience is, is really the key. And, and, I, and I would say to young people and I would say to children that hope and resilience in your faith, they're really your superpowers. Um, and if you can hold on to that. You know that's going to give you that, that strength to face up to challenges and, and remind us all that facing up to challenges is something that is going to happen to everybody and you can do it. Uh, and I hope that children really take that from the book. Uh, I, I think uh, we've all faced challenges in our, in our life and sometimes it's really comforting to look back um, at the stories in the Bible and see how people so long ago had to face challenges and, and how they didn't shy away from that.
0: Michelle, it's just uh, it's just delightful. Thank you so much. What a joy. Um, what are you working on next? I'm actually
3: working on uh, another extraordinary-themed book, and it's about the Bible. And this time, it's going to be thematically looking at just all the incredible content in the Bible for, for young children, again, in another picture book. So I'm very excited about that.
0: So fun. Well, blessings on that project, Um And just thank you for sharing your own experience of sort of falling in love with the Word of God and being drawn into it. Thank you for helping us to discover it again like little children. And certainly thank you for the book, Extraordinary Women of the Bible. That's Michelle Sloan. Um, We're just all now longing for Scotland. So thank you so much. (laughs) Thank you so much, Carmen. Have a blessed day. We'll be right back. All right. We have a listener, Mary, who just texted in a minute ago. Um, Good morning. Good morning, my sweet daughter, Hope, just left for the hospital to deliver our first grandbaby. Could you please pray for our family? Absolutely. Uh, Lord God, we come before you with our sister, Mary. We thank you for the new life that you have knit together in Hope's womb. We entrust you to deliver this child into the world that you so love, to be uh, to be a little agent of your grace and so father she's fearfully or this child is fearfully and wonderfully made and we ask that you would uh, bless uh, bless the delivery bless this sweet family um, please be in uh, in the hearts and in the hands of those who tend to them uh, at the hospital amen it also uh, reminds me that I heard from another listener this morning encouraging us, Um, to consider all of the jobs that are available. Uh, Lots of jobs available in hospitals. Uh, There are um, people in need of caregivers, dietary, housekeeping staff, CNAs, um, on and on and on. Lots of jobs available where I work. Would love to see some of those who are listening seek new jobs in my industry. Well, there you go. Invitations to come and work alongside other Christians out They're uh, in the world. And so um, let's be people that are filled with hope and extend the grace and blessing to God to more and more people today. Uh, If you remember nothing else on this last day of Q3, remember this God has invested himself in you by the power of his Holy Spirit. You are his image bearer, and he sees you. Have a great day, and God bless. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge from Faith Radio.